morning, Mike. How you doing, man? Hi, Kevin. Hey, you know, the last the last time we were talking, we were talking about just how the community and musicians, how it all works together and stuff. You know, I wanted to hear some about, you know, this specific part of the community. We it's kind of what attracted me to being a musician or is not just the community, but these specific individuals who mentored me. I'm so lucky. I mean, you must have had mentors in your yeah, life. Influences, definitely. Yeah. You know, a lot of what I what got me interested in well, my family was you know, we had two parts of our family that kind of did everything together. There was me and my four brothers and our family, and then my cousins. Uh, they mm -hmm. lived a couple of blocks away, and we did everything together, all the holidays, summer vacations, uh, saw each other, you know, probably once every week or so. My father and my uncle were great friends and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, they were the athletes, <laughs> and we were the musicians. <laughs> our family all did. Played me, my father had his own a band when he was growing up. He called it an orchestra. But he played banjo. It's hard to hard to think of an orchestra with the lead instrument being a banjo. But that was in the in the nineteen teens and twenties. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, my mother played piano, so we all had to take piano lessons, of course, growing up. And uh, but my brother, my the second oldest, who was the number two in the family, I'm number three. He was considered to be he was the the singer in the family, and when he was uh, gee, I guess teenager before he went off to college, my father would drag him around to all his favorite haunts in St. Louis and, and have him sing with the different bands and stuff like that. Steve was um, very interested in uh, the music of that time. Was what our his favorites were Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett, and then Johnny Mathis. And so he would have bring these albums home, and he had other stuff too, but. He would bring these albums home, and that's how I learned how to sing, was playing those albums and singing along with those singers. So he was a great influence on me. Nobody expected me to become a professional musician because Steve was the star uh, of the uh, family. <laughs> but he got smart. He went to law school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know what you mean when you say that. You say he got smart, you know. I mean, more people... Or, or make a living in musician than they do as lawyers. Yeah. You know how many people fail the bar exam? I'm just I'm saying. I'm just talking about the, in those days the difference of Steve going to law school and me putting my guitar in the in my mother's Impala and driving around the country from city to city uh, playing six nights a week. We're, we're going to do another episode eventually on the, the, per, the perceptions that Americans have about the life of a musician, right? you know, hide your daughters and all that stuff. <laughs> and you and I could do point counterpoint. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is why it's better to do these things as a discussion, right? right? You know, right. but... <clears throat> but, but too, I've had other uh, influences. I mean, um, uh, there were people I remember, Stephen Stills came in and sat in with us in, uh, in New Orleans, with my band in New Orleans. And I had always been a big fan of his. When I started playing music uh, professionally, what I did is I did my favorite songs of the day, which were, the, you know, they were called either folk rock or singer-songwriter, songs of the singer-songwriter, mm -hmm. you know, Paul Simon and James Taylor and, and uh, of course, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Stephen Stills. 
So Stephen Stills came in one night and played with us in our at our uh, gig in New Orleans on Bourbon Street at a place called the Absinthe Bar, and he stayed and played with us the whole week. And just his um, his stature, his posture, the kind of guy he was, easy going. Again, you know, he wore uh, tan slacks and a blue sport coat. I mean, we were all. I don't know, we weren't wearing tie-dye, but I mean, we were all kind of raggedy looking, you know, uh, of, as we uh-huh. thought we should be <laughs> in the uh, 80s, early 80s. But Stephen, you would think, well, we all said he looked more like a banker uh-huh. <laughs> than a musician. But he was a great guy, and he listened. He loved my bass player. In fact, my bass player wound up playing with Crosby, Stills, and Nash a couple uh-huh. years later. But he loved the feel of that funk band, and he he was um, an influence by just by the, the way he was and how he wasn't like didn't have his nose up in the air his head in the clouds he was just a player right and, and, and so and I think um, we've talked about this before that the the better people the more accomplished people whether it's not just music I've done interviews with CEOs of major corporations for years. And they're all they're always usually pretty easygoing people, pretty easy to get to know. They're interested in you as as much as you're interviewing them. Uh, they don't have to put anything on because they've they've been there, done that. They're accomplished. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, you, you know, my experience and really the thing that, that has kept me in my music the whole time is this this experience of of a lack of hierarchies in terms of. I don't know, skill or success. It's more about when an older musician or more experienced musician would recognize that I love music too. And I don't mean everyone loves music, of course. I mean, like, I wasn't doing this to be famous or to make money. I was just in love with with the act of making music together with other people. When when they recognized that, you know, they would embrace me. I was hired many times on gigs. I had no right to be on. But I understand better now that um, they too were lifted up by others and they're lifting me up and they'd rather have me who really wanted to be there um, other than someone else who was only there just for a paycheck, you know, Uh, because the music comes out better. Mm -hmm. When 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 I first discovered jazz, whatever that means, uh, I was, it was my last um, quarter of high school. My band director, um, quite a character, wonderful musician. We didn't have jazz at my high school. His, his name was Leon Rundbacon. Uh, Mr. Rundbacon, if you're out there, but thank you so much, man. Um, he sent me to this clinic thing where everyone auditioned for the All-State Jazz Band, and they, they ended up putting together all the kids in bands. There were seven bands there. I made it into the third band, even though I never played jazz before. I'm playing piano on this, but I knew music theory. And I met all these kids there. And I suddenly was like, wow, this jazz stuff is cool. I, I don't have to play what's written and everyone. So, so when I got back to high school, I wanted to make my own jazz band. So I called these kids I had met who were in the area, the Cab Fulton, Cobb Counties, you know. Mm-hmm. And we, my band director gave me keys to the, to the band room, and we were allowed to go and use all the equipment and practice there once a week, but we had no music. And one of them said their band director was a nice guy. This is a guy, his name is Stutz Wimmer. 
You can't make up these names. <laughs> Leon Runbacon and Stutz Wimmer. Stutz Wimmer was band director at Northwood Hills High School, and he volunteered his time. He brought over the charts and would come over and direct us for free. With no, they no, we didn't even have to cajole them or anything. We so went he, over, we went over there to see if we could borrow some music. Yeah. He says, "Well, who's directing you?" He he, uh, Stutz went on to um, run the music program at Lovett, the private um, private school here in town. So did he have jazz charts or yeah, just yeah, jazz? Charts. Okay, Stutz is, turns out an amazing jazz musician. Huh. He recently moved to Hilton Head. He he has touched so many lives. I just happened to meet him. At the beginning of his teaching, he was probably 23, I don't know, 21, something like that. Um, but just this, these two guys going way out of their way. I'm certainly on Red Bank and shouldn't have given a student a key to the, to the music facility at my high school. Yeah. You know, but, you know, that was, a, that was the beginning of something. And the list of people who helped me from then, even now, it's very long. It's, it's really a beautiful thing. I wish it. For my music students, you know, that, that I work with at the university, I, I try to tell them, you know, reach out, go meet these people, you know, um, you have to, you have to build a relationship with them, you know, don't just like hang out and then complain if they don't hire you, you know, you got, they got to get to know you. Any musicians that you played with early in your career that had a real impact on you or that personally maybe as well as as musically well there were lots in atlanta but you know i moved to florida when i was um uh, 20 to go to go to a new jazz school down there and the first weekend we were there there was no music happening in jacksonville and this famous saxophone player trumpet player ira sullivan was playing down in Cocoa Beach, Florida, which we, we didn't have Google Maps. We thought that must be about an hour away. It was about three hours away. <laughs> we drove down there, and he was playing this little Mexican cantina. The place was packed with an audience. You know, he wasn't playing in the corner. He was doing a concert. And when he heard that I had driven all the way down from Jacksonville to hear him play, and that I was going to jazz school, he says, well, would you like to play with us? <laughs> So I said, yes. I, and I still remember the two songs I played. Softly this morning, sunrise, and take the A train. And just having a famous person, he didn't know me at all. Mm -hmm. You know, we had met on the break, but he asked me if I didn't ask to play, that kind of thing. I ended up playing with Ira all the way up until six months when he, before he died, which wow. was... Um, um, not that long ago, played in Chicago with him many times. He, he's a legendary, was a legendary musician and beautiful human being. And I'll tell you, when we would do gigs, Mike, I mean, way older than me, he, he played with like Charlie Parker, you know, back in the wow. 40s, 30s and 40s. Um, Ira would, we'd finish the gig, it'd be like a four-hour concert, like maybe it would be in Miami or Fort Lauderdale. And, you know, I'm playing, I'm driving home that night. He's like, well, hold, hold on, Kevin, uh, come with me. And I'd get in his car, and then we'd drive, like, across town to a jam session. And then he'd play another four hours. <laughs> I brought him in when I was teaching in the University of North Florida. I brought him in to do a clinic. And he only agreed to do it if I would let him do it for eight hours. 
He says he goes to do clinics at schools and they only give him one hour. He says there's no way he could do it. I had to get approval. There were no rooms available for eight hours, but we found two rooms and he sat in there for almost eight hours and students would come and go and whoever come in, he would play a song with them and talk to them. It was it was really quite incredible. Incredible guy, Ira Sullivan. Not just because of his good, but his musicianship was was it was was amazing, and he was beloved. Um, you know, in Jacksonville, there was this trumpet player, Longinu Parsons, who's I learned so much playing with him. He's still around. He lives in Tallahassee and teaches at a university down there. But um, he introduced me to jazz greats Nat Adderley and Sam Rivers. And the very first recording I ever was put on was a recording with with them. And Nat Adderley was the producer of the record. And um, I'm young and terrified and first time in like a real recording studio and after we played the first song Nat walks you know walks from the booth into the room and looks at me and the bass player and says are you guys kidding me and we're like what he says we're recording try harder (laughs) and we did I mean, it kind of, you know, kind of angered us both a little bit, but um, we played way, I mean, we're just being timid. Yeah. Um, Even the way he did it, though, wasn't cruel. Yeah. You know. But it was effective. Oh, yeah, it it was great. Um, You know, you talked about, you're talking about learning from people uh, uh, that you play with. Yeah. And... uh, you know, when I moved here from New Orleans many years ago, I stopped playing out for a while. And um, uh, after several years of not playing out, I woke up one morning and I said, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> this is what I've done my whole life, what I always wanted to do my whole life. I've got to at least get this back into my life in some form or fashion, if not full-time professionally uh, as I had been in the past. And which is kind of where I am now. So what I decided to do instead of, of you know, going and getting a job like I used to six nights a week, sitting on a stool strumming guitar and singing folk songs or, mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, singer-songwriter tunes, I decided I'm going to get better on the instrument I love, which is piano. And I'm going to start studying, finding somebody to study with. And at that time, it was Ted Howe who was... The, uh, the the fine top top, top teacher in, in Atlanta top, yeah top teacher of jazz piano in Atlanta for sure and so I uh, suffered through a few years of lessons with Ted I say suffer because I tried really hard to get better and it was I didn't realize how much I didn't know until I started learning more <laughs> it doesn't stop does it <laughs> no you know I took a lesson with Ted and he did something also very kind. I mean, I was paying my own bills at this point. I'm 17 years old. It's right after I had like found jazz, and I he was expensive. I don't. I mean, it's, this is 1985, so I don't remember how much it was then. Yeah, but it was I remember like 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Or yeah, it was a lot of money, yeah. you know, to to a 17 year old. Yeah, right. But so I told him up front, listen, I because he wanted me to come every week for a lesson. I said I can only afford one lesson. So I came in and we, we, I played, he talked, and he said, well, here's what I'm going to do. Is you brought that notebook, I'm going to fill it up with everything you need to know for six months, to work on for six months. 
still only charged me 50 bucks or whatever mm-hmm. it was. You know, now he he drove some bizarre pictures in the back. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, Ted Al, but that's right. His one notebooks. of a kind, one of a kind. But we're famous, but we're infamous. <laughs> yeah, but he did give me. I still have it, page after page after page of information. Yeah. I was able to go, and you know, he basically gave me six months of lessons for free. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, as we have, as we know, as you and I certainly mm-hmm. know. When Ted left for Los Angeles, you took over his students, and that's how I met you. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and obviously, I've been studying with you for several years, and again, learning. Every time I have a lesson, I realize how much more I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's challenging teaching, you know, really accomplished pros like you because I mean, you play great. So it's you know, it's we all. I still take lessons. We all need a coach. Of some kind, you know. One thing that's that's a transition for me talking about mentors, you know, is I'm I used to be the youngest person in every band, and now <laughs> very often not only am I the oldest person in every group, but also everyone else in the group, like I either mentored or taught. <laughs> and sometimes the age difference between them is so wide that they don't even know each other. Yeah. It's you know, so it's I miss. The part where I'm the weakest, the weakest link in the band. I'm not saying that I'm better than these these youngsters I'm playing with, but you know where I have these master musicians who are lifting me up and teaching me uh-huh. on the bandstand, yeah. and that's just that's harder to come by. One of my best mentors, seriously, is this guy Ben Tucker from Savannah. He moved to Savannah in the early '70s to be the first African American to own a radio station in the south it's one of these things that they can make a movie out of the day he showed up all the white employees quit you know these kind of things he's also one of the guys who um came up with schoolhouse rock and pitched it to the network and had a bunch of hit songs so he had money from his career in music that he used to come down here he opened a jazz club and he had this wonderful pianist joe jones uh, amazing guy who had passed away he needed a new pianist and he called me. Now, I didn't know who Ben Tucker was at the time because it's just a regular name. It's not like his name was Leon Runbacon, you know. <laughs> um, and But he played great. I came up and did the gig with him. It was a weekend and and um, in a hotel, like, concert hall, you know, like a jazz club in a hotel. Um, paid great, real piano, and he played amazingly. It wasn't until I got home that I realized, oh, this is Ben Tucker who is on all these Dexter Gordon records and all these other records. Pat Martin, he's, like, he's on hundreds of famous records. He's not the kind of guy who we even tell you. Mm-hmm. And we were, that first gig, I was playing with him, and he, I forget what song it was he wanted to play, but I, I asked him what key um, he, he wanted to do it in. I said, well, uh, it, I don't care it, uh, any key. He says, really? Okay, let's do it in the original key. And I said, well, what's the original key? He says, it's the key Sonny Rollins wrote it in. And I said, well, how do you know that? He says, Sonny told me. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. He, ben would do, the, would do great things without t- talking to me directly. We would play. He said, do you know such and such a song? And if I said no, he says, okay, let's play it. <laughs> and he would play the melody on the bass. And I would just have to learn the song Wow! right there. If he discovered that I liked the song too much, um, 
he would never play it in a key I liked. <laughs> he would just start it in a different key. Just to challenge you. Yeah, and to keep the music fresh. Uh-huh. I mean, I just taught this jazz camp at Georgia State, amazing young kids. I kept telling them to um, to not judge themselves and play well. And then they one would play a really good solo. I'd say, that was a great solo. And he'd go, oh, no, that was terrible. <laughs> I was like, I said, are you calling me an idiot? Just say thank you. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, I, I, I need to work on that. And Ira Sullivan's the one who told me that the very first time. He, he says, oh, you think I'm an idiot? <laughs> Cool. Did you think I wasn't listening? I'm like, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, it's... Well, you know, in our theme of lessons, le- lessons learned, mm-hmm. well, what, what you learn learning music, in our theme of lessons learned from these podcasts, uh, or drawing some sort of lesson learned from them, I think one of the things that, that we learned today or that we talked about today, it's a great lesson, is your influences. Um, you, you need to get out and play. And you need to try to play, you know, jam sessions, whatever, do whatever you can, because you learn so much from the other people that you that you play in with. And it gives you ideas and it, it may take you a long time to work them in or or go home and try to replicate that or just learn something from the way they played. But but I think that's uh, a lesson learned is you, you learn a great deal by playing with other musicians. Yeah. I I have a saying, it's corny, but I say you can't learn to swim in a bathtub. <laughs> I tell students this because you know the the whole the whole thing is so many musicians try to like they learn their ten chords on the guitar and they write some songs like what they listen to in high school and try to make it big and they're not involved with this whole gigantic family of not only willing but also loving mentors and teachers there for us it's uh, it's really to me it's a very beautiful thing 